0: May the words of our mouths and meditations of our hearts be acceptable to you, O God, our rock and our redeemer. And the people said, Amen. Wouldn't verse 10 of chapter 3 have been a great ending to the book of Jonah? God called Jonah to go to Nineveh, Jonah went the other way, tried to go to Tarshish, ended up sailing a ship to that city. A storm arose. It was determined that Jonah was the responsible party for the storm. The sailors approached him, what shall we do? Jonah said, throw me overboard. Basically, I'm the responsible party. The storm will cease and you'll be on your way. That's what happened. And then the Lord provided a great fish to swallow Jonah And for three days and three nights, Jonah was safe and protected. God spared him. And then on the third day, the great fish spewed Jonah. The text says, vomited Jonah out onto dry land, and God gave him a second chance. Go to Nineveh and speak to the people the words I give you. This is a surprise to us. And Jonah obeyed this time and made the journey to Nineveh, spoke to the people, and the people listened and they were changed, and God spared them the end, a clean ending, like if it were a sitcom. But that's not how the story ended. There's another chapter. We were just three-fourths of the way through, and now we come, and we see that Jonah is not so happy with what God did. Jonah, threw a temper tantrum, he was angry. He was incensed. Jonah allowed his emotions to get the best of him. Like Pastor Amanda shared in the children's sermon, have you ever gotten angry like that? Have you, have I, of course I have. Have we allowed our emotions, the emotion of anger to get the best of us? Maybe it's been a little road rage and it's uh, while we're driving. Maybe we've had a rough day at work and we take it out on the one we love when we get home. Maybe we're a caregiver and the person whom we love and for whom we care doesn't listen and can't comprehend what we're asking them to do and we get angry and we say something that we would regret. Have you ever allowed your, the emotion of anger to get the best of you? I sure have. We all have at times. And I'm so thankful that we have a God who is graceful and just and when we come to him that way, that God will forgive us and restore us and help us to do better the next time. Today's catch, Sunday's catch, we're going to see a few things that we can take home. Uh, and that is that Jonah allowed his anger to cloud his judgment. We'll see that in chapter 4. Jonah was not able to see the big picture. And their question is, how, how do our attitudes need to change What does God need to do in us so that we might experience the joy of the Lord instead of sitting there on the top of a hill like Jonah, just waiting for God's punishment for somebody else? So reflect on these things today and throughout this week as we uh, reflect on the story of Jonah and conclude the series today. I'm going to suggest that there are several angles for change in Jonah chapter 4. Uh, angling is a fishing term, some uh, ways that we can catch change. Uh, the first one is to simply acknowledge our feelings of anger. God gave us the emotion of anger. It's, it's normal to get angry and upset, but as the scripture says, be, be, we are to be angry, but sin not. Uh, allow ourselves to experience anger that is appropriate, but not to hurt someone else. We get angry when We've been hurt or wronged or mistreated, and it's normal for us to respond that way. Other times, we get angry when we don't get our way, and we see that in the book of Jonah. And we also get angry when we see something that isn't right, and that's what we understand that Jesus models for us as righteous indignation. When we see something, when we see an injustice, we get angry. And God compels us to do something about it. Paul says, don't sin by letting anger control you. Don't let the sun go down while you're still angry. In Ephesians 4, 26. And then in verse 31 and 32 of that same chapter, get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling and slander along with every form of malice. God doesn't want us to live life with pent-up anger. God wants us to be free from that and channel our angry at injustices that we can be a force for change in the name of Jesus. God gave us these emotions. There are helpful emotions like patience, calmness, excitement, and happiness, and there are challenging ones like anger, sadness, and confusion. And with God's help and with the help of others like parents and grandparents and Our teachers and our our pastors, guidance counselors, our Sunday school teachers, we can help learn to express our emotions like anger in a healthy way. And when we see an injustice, God can work through us to right the wrong, to make a change. I see in Jonah chapter 4, God bringing to the surface some of the reasons why Jonah's anger got the best of him. There are temptations that can lead us to be angry. Dr. Sam Ballantyne, in his book, Prayer in the Hebrew Bible, writes of Jonah. In his activities, Jonah has acted in ways that pretend piety but disclose rebellion. In other words, Jonah was hypocritical, In his actions, a pretend outward religious piety, but inside he wanted those people of Nineveh to fail, and be destroyed. So think about these temptations that we see in Jonah chapter four. The um, the first one I see is that Jonah played God. How often do we sit back and play God? God is sovereign. God had ruled as sovereign judge. God had rendered a verdict. And his verdict had been to have compassion on the people and not to bring them to destruction that they had deserved based on their repentance. And as Christians, we might wonder why this was such an issue with Jonah. Why? Why was he so upset about it? When somebody makes a decision here at Huguenot Road Baptist Church, I would say when it, when it happened pre-pandemic, people... Uh, would come down to the aisle during worship, service invitation, and share their decision, and we would rejoice, and often applause uh, would come, and the, uh, we would celebrate that decision. We would encourage them, and when their person is baptized, the same kind of encouragement that we see. But this is not what Jonah exhibited. He was greatly displeased and he became angry. Like the older brother in the story of the prodigal who was angry at the father's grace toward the son who was lost and came back home. Or like the parable that Jesus told of the the workers and the vineyard owner who paid the workers that started at the end of the day the same wage he paid the ones who started at the crack of dawn and the ones who started at the crack of dawn were angry about that and the landowner said the vineyard owner said don't i have the right to do with the mon- my money as i please this is the kind of emotion that tempted Jonah To play God. He allowed his anger to get the best of him. They don't deserve that. If God saves them, will they become people of Israel too? We don't want them in. Do you hear some of this? Jonah positioned himself as judge over the city went up east on top of a hill, set up a tabernacle, and just waited on their judgment. But we're reminded of the words of Jesus in Matthew 7, 1 and 2, when Jesus said, Do not judge, or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. The temptation that we have to play God, to sit back, And watch what happens. Another temptation is that it's sort of like the first one, but somewhat different to be self centered. It's when we get angry when God chooses to do something we wouldn't have done if we were in charge. Jonah was greatly displeased in verse one. And then he got very angry, a temper tantrum. In other words, he burned with anger. You could see the red in his face, the veins popping out of his neck. Have you ever gotten so hot when you burned with anger? Your earlobes, your face red? That's what the face there in the passage carries with it. Our English word for anger comes from a Latin word that means tightness. Uh, The Greek word for anger means to squeeze or a tightening or a strangling. Our fight or flight mechanisms cause our blood vessels to constrict, and we get red in the face, and our skin is hot to the touch. The literal word of the Hebrew, "chara" means to glow or warm or to blaze up, and that was happening with Jonah, and Jonah's human just like us. We, we know what that feels like, but that's not all. In verse 2, he was self-absorbed because he prayed to the Lord, and he, he prayed a, a complaint, you know, uh, Lord, is this not what I said while I was still at home? I knew that you were going to save those people. I was angry from the very get-go. And then in verse 3, so self-centered that he said, take my life because it's better for me to die than for me to live. It's the second time in the story that he wanted to die. Not only is he angry here, but many scholars believe that he was also shamed and embarrassed. Think of it this way. You're a prophet of God, and you believe that you are responsible for single-handedly ending Israel's favored status in standing with God. What will your fellow Israelites think of you? Jonah perhaps didn't want to be associated with that. He didn't want that hanging over his head. Would he be considered a traitor to his own people? Furthermore, it's possible that some people wouldn't get the whole story. They might assume that Jonah preached, but because God didn't destroy Nineveh, that his sermons were dull and ineffective. Or even yet, would Jonah even be considered a false prophet by some fellow Israelites since his prophecy didn't get fulfilled? Bottom line, Jonah was angry because God did something that he, Jonah, would not have done. And all of that manifested because he was self-centered. He was not able to see the bigger ways of God. Jonah thought small. And I have to ask myself the question, Bob Lee, how often do I put God in a box? How often do I view God as small and controllable? as opposed to big and vast, powerful. Often, God's ways are not my ways, and my thoughts are not God's thoughts. Think of Isaiah 55. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. Lord, help us not to be people who play God. Help us not to be so self-absorbed that we can't see the bigger picture. And help us, the third temptation, help us not forget your ways. Help us not forget your ways. Sometimes we get spiritual amnesia and we forget all of the things that God has done in the past. God provided Jonah a second chance. God sent a great fish and saved his life. God allowed the great fish to spew him out onto dry land and gave him a second chance to go speak to the people of Nineveh and give God's word to them. God experienced Jonah experienced God as his Savior, as his Rescuer, as his Provider, as his Sustainer, the God of Mercy and the God of Compassion. In fact, in in Jonah's prayer, he recalls the goodness of God. I knew, he said, that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger, abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity, a God of second chances He's recalling what God said to Moses back in Exodus 34, 6, and 7 and in a number of other passages. Jonah had spiritual amnesia and wasn't able to recall the ways of God in the past. And we know that God is consistent and unchanging at what God has done in the past. God will do again. He was not able to see any of that. How often do I forget the promises of God? How often do I look back and see how God has blessed the church and and, and, and gotten the, the church through difficult times. Uh, uh, what God has done before, God will do again. Look at how God has helped us through these six months of pandemic. Who would have ever thought that we would be worshiping over the internet and coming to service wearing masks and following social distancing and all of these things and there are some churches that are embroiled with turmoil because people are upset about the changes that their church has made but you all have remembered the promises of God and have been so cooperative and for that we are so thankful. Help us not forget the ways of the Lord. Help me, O oh Lord, not sit back and throw a temper tantrum and hope other people fail. But rather, help me to see the goodness and the mercy of God. Another temptation we see in the book of Jonah in the fourth chapter is that we allow our emotions to guide us. Some of us really struggle with this. We allow feelings To guide us rather than our faith. We go on feeling. And when you look at Hebrews chapter 11. And all of the people of God who lived by faith. The Bible says they lived by faith. Belief in that which is not seen. They trusted God. They did not live by feelings. If we live by feelings. Oh my. What will happen? Where will we go? What would be our destiny? but we as people of God live by faith. Do you remember where Jesus said, don't trust in things that moths can destroy and things that can rust out, but rather place your treasures in heaven? What did Jonah do? He went up on the hill and he built himself his own little house. And as Pastor Amanda shared, uh, perhaps he got a couple of jumbo bags of popcorn that were fresh freshly uh, popped and sat there just waiting on God to destroy the people his emotions of anger his emotion of anger guided his actions and he trusted in the shade plant that God provided for him which grew up really quickly Some scholars say it was a castor oil plant with big uh, leaves that provided shade that grow up to 12 feet tall, that grow very quickly. And Jonah was so angry when the worm that God had sent ate it. But Jonah was trusting in things and feelings, not in the Lord. God was fully in control. And God wants us to live by faith, not by feelings. And our question is, do we allow our emotions to affect our spiritual life or do we allow our spiritual lives to affect our emotions? It's not easy. I wrestle with it. We wrestle with it every day, multiple times a day. But the key here is about growing in this area of our lives, surrendering our emotions to the Lord. Will you join me this week as as we pray the Lord help me not to live by feelings, but by faith. And Lord, would you help my spiritual life guide my emotional life? And some of us may need some help with that. And if that's you, if, if you are dealing with some really tough emotional issues related to anger, our, uh, our staff will be happy to help you get connected to a good counselor to process those emotions and work through them. The last thing I want to say, the last temptation we see in chapter four is that Jonah had a small view of God. The temptation for us is to get bogged down in the little things that we fail to see the most important things. Here at the end of chapter four, Jonah, after the shady tree or the shady vine turned into a withered vine and the discomfort of the heat that came along and the the hot sun. He said, I'm angry enough to die. He could only think about the small things. What will the other Israelites think of me as a prophet? And my vine, the the vine that provided such nice shade, the worm came along and ate it up. And this hot wind and blazing sun are making me miserable. Meanwhile, God saved an entire city of people who are outside the family of God, Gentile people. God saved 120,000 people and even cared about the animals and all Jonah was uh, concerned about was the vine that withered and the hot weather and the worm that came along and that other people might think he wasn't very successful as the prophet. He missed the big picture. God, how often do I have a small vision of you How often do I miss the big picture while I'm focused on programs and schedules and administration and trying to do this, that, and the other in the church, whereas God is concerned about people and the big picture vision of the church to reach all nations in the name of Jesus Christ, to make a difference in our community to be the people whom God has called us to be here in North Chesterfield and in Richmond and to the ends of the earth. The big picture, how can we be about that vision? And I'm reminded of how Eugene Peterson shares this uh, with us in a story in his book, Under the Unpredictable Plant. It was inspired, the book was, by the story of Jonah. And he said when he was five years old, growing up in East Montana, in a farming community, he would go out to the edge of a farmer's property, and his name was Leonard Storm, and he would stand there at the fence, and he would watch Farmer Storm, they called him Brother Storm at church, uh, in the big green John Deere tractor uh, uh, plowing in the fields, and how Eugene said that he longed to have a, a ride in that big John Deere tractor, And one day, Brother Storm stopped the tractor and got out and raised up his hands and motioned for Eugene Peterson to come over toward the tractor, but Eugene didn't. He thought that Brother Storm was shooing him away. And the next Sunday at church, after this disappointment, Brother Storm came over to Eugene, then five years old, and said, why didn't you come out the field uh, in Thursday and ride the tractor with me? And Eugene said, "I, I didn't know I could. I thought you were chasing me away. And Brother Storm said, I had called you to come. I waved for you to come. Why did you leave? And Peterson said, I didn't know that's what you were doing. And Brother Storm said, what do you do when you want somebody to come over to you? And Eugene said, he he took his index finger and he curled it up and he just did like this. He motioned for people to come with his index finger. And Brother Storm says, he said, that's piddling. On the farm we do things big. Hence, The motions of his hands to invite five-year-old Eugene Peterson to come out into the field for a ride in the great big John Deere tractor. And Peterson says, I had such a small view of the world. I interpreted the large, generous actions of the farmer through the cramped, confined experience of a five-year-old. And so, of course, I misinterpreted. Like Jonah hanging on the fence of Nineveh, disappointed with what he was seeing, and then angry in his disappointment. But there's more to the story. A few days after his disappointment at the edge of the field and his reprimand at church, Eugene says, I was back at the edge of the fence, watching, hoping I might get a second chance. And the giant Norwegian farmer saw me and stopped the tractor and did it again with that great big sweeping motion of invitation. I was through the barbed wire fence in a flash, running across the field and up into that big green John Deere tractor, and he let me stand in front of him, holding the steering wheel, pulling that slow tractor and its disc down that long stretch of field, my smallness now absorbed into his bigness. And my prayer for us is that we would allow our smallness to be absorbed into the bigness of a God who loves us, a God who loves us so much that he sent his son, Jesus Christ, to this earth to give his life for our sins and to provide us a life eternal, a life abundant. And that we are to share that good news and be imitators of Christ as we do his work here in North Chesterfield and beyond. As we pray, I'd like to invite you once again to read this prayer in unison out loud with me, whether you're at home or in person. And then we will sing our song of response, which is the blessing. Here's our prayer. Lord, you have promised to go before me and to be with me. You have promised... That you will never leave me or forsake me. I claim that promise right now. I truly believe you can help me to step beyond my fears and anxieties as I meet the responsibilities of today.